Jen, now I've been teasing. We have a very special guest in the room. Take it away. I teases, teasing and teasers. It's just such film language to me. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea of a teaser. We Who do teasers it? on the show. We've got two today, and I'm here with the film curator at Art Gallery of New South Wales, Ruby Arrowsmith Todd, who has also curated for the first time the Flux section of Sydney Film Festival, which is the only section you should pay. we pay attention to, to be honest. <laughs> it's um, the only one that is continually surprising. Um, I guess I wanted you to defend art films because your name, <laughs> as an acronym, spells rap but could easily be art. And you, I don't know where I'm going with this. I've had an hour sleep. Good Save morning. Me here. Good morning, <laughs> Good Jen. morning, Ruby. <laughs> it's, a pl- it's a pleasure to be with you. It's funny you bring up my acronym because... Um, Rats is actually the the name backward of one of the protagonists of the Flux films, who oh, is called both Star. Done a bad segue. And I love. Um, they they actually introduce themselves in Queens of the Qing Dynasty, which is one of the films playing in Fox a Flux as um, stars backward. <laughs> um, so yeah, what is Flux? Uh, Flux is the strand for formerly in innovative experimental filmmaking at Sydney Film Festival. Um, it's a yearly showcase of new films by artists and filmmakers kind of working at the intersection of the art gallery and the cinema. So previous iterations have showcased films by more kind of, I guess, capital A artists working in the art world. So people like Shira Nishat, Isaac Julian, um, That was those programs were curated by my predecessor, Bridget Eichen. This year, um, we're showcasing films that are kind of occupying the borderlands between documentary and fiction, between more social realist modes and fictional or fabulous world making. Um, why? Okay, so I need to defend defend art films. I would say, um, in terms of this year's Sydney Film Festival lineup, as you said, for me, um, and I, I would hope for for listeners as well. This is where some of the most kind of exciting films are being made, both in terms of sort of socio-political content, but also in terms of experimentation with the form. So the films that I've chosen this year, they all engage with the quote-unquote real, but playfully bursted asunder through you know glitchy animation, through through VR, through um, sensorial immersion, and through I guess a really playful um, use of uh, I guess sensory and sort of attention to surface effects. It feels like they're road movies too. There's like a road theme, especially to the two that are still yet to play, because two of them you can't go to. We're going to talk about them, but they're done. We're halfway through the festival. That's correct. So we we screened Amy and Queens of the Qing Dynasty over the weekend, and we do, yeah, I hadn't thought about them as road movies, but we're playing um, James Bennings' new film, United States of America, and... um, a dry Ground Burning, which is an amazing um, film from Brazil. We're going to get into them in depth over two takes, over two breaks, don't go anywhere. Because I think that 
we should quickly talk about Feeling 22. Yes. Is that okay? Can we do a spotlight on Feeling 22? All right, it's time to spotlight. Spotlight. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Um, I would love to talk about Feeling 22. So that is the the name of the upcoming series at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So we have, for listeners who don't know, a beautiful 320-seat cinema down in the basement. We screen films every week. They're free to the public. Um, and this year we're celebrating our two-decade anniversary. So basically we've been screening free films to Sydney Ciders for since the year 2000. Um, we try to celebrate our 20th anniversary 21st and now we're you know going for 22 and the series is a showcase of films from each year that we've been serving as Sydney's home of curated cinema so we've got films from 2000 to today running every week um, from June 22nd up until October and everything's entirely free the whole program's on the website as well it's such a like a dreamy letterbox watch list curation there's Margaret I've never seen Margaret on the big screen. That, to me, is huge. How do some of them stand up, do you think? I mean, I, I think all of them stand up. Um, the way that I kind of programmed this, this series in particular was people really need a reason to come back to the cinema. So I totally. guess foregrounding pleasurable films, foregrounding films that I think are incredibly enjoyable to re-watch or inc- like see for the first time on a big screen with an audience. Mm-hmm. And it's also a series that, I guess, maps filmmaking trends from 2000 to today. So we see the way that the sort of centres of filmmaking gravity splinter toward our region. It's a real celebration of the great cinemas of kind of South Korea, of China, of Taiwan. Um, there's also a strong through line of films made locally so we're screening Lake Mungo which is a film I don't Mm. know have you seen it I have seen Lake Mungo my old boss was actually in that and it's really embarrassing for him he's the bully (laughs) yeah it's anyway (laughs) I also (laughs) no 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 I can tangent so much I was gonna say my ritual for watching art films is to just have a bowl of pasta and be in bed and pause lots of time so I can do research and just sit with Andre and have a chat and like go through as many you know interview articles as we can about the film Do you have a ritual for flux? Like, what do you do before and after a film to make it the most heightened, perfect experience possible outside of just the film itself? That's a really good question. I mean, so a number of the films are screening this weekend at Palace Central, and (laughs) I discovered the the ice cream store Anita's downstairs. Oh, yeah. So I would recommend going to maybe Time Zone Mm -hmm. before. (laughs) Okay, Time Zone. Having a quick game, (laughs) coming to the screening, maybe getting an ice cream beforehand, and then just... These are films which basically invite you to have, you know, 90 to two hours, spend that time in a different state of te- like temporal, corporeal experience. So a film like James Benning's, which is, mm-hmm. you know, 52 long takes. This is a film which is really deliberately encouraging you to, to change the way you observe your environment, to mm-hmm. slow down, to kind of corporeally readjust to the kind of durational experience that he's offering. Let's talk more about United States of America. All right. Jen, Ruby, what's the scoop? <laughs> so we're going to talk about United States of America first, which is a film by a bit of a veteran, James Benning, of minimalist cinema, 
who's kind of a geo-meditation poet with rule brace practice, frozen shots, depicting natural forms. This one is a remake of a film he made in the 70s, United States of America, where he takes a single shot in every state of America, which reminds me of this porn series Andre and I used to be really obsessed with called Colby Does America, where a sort of famous um, anarchist gay porn star gave up all of his belongings and made a different video art porn in every single state which you can only access on the Internet Archive now because I think he ran out of money to put it up on the Internet. How, how is James Benning's United States of America similar to Colby Does America? Well, it's similar to Colby Does America in the sense that it um, comprises 52 long takes, so <laughs> one, from, one from each state plus Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia. And as you mentioned, it's a remake of a film he made in 1975 with his then-partner Betty Gordon, who's amazing, who made the film Variety, mm-hmm. um, which you might know. It's basically an A to Z audiovisual portrait of the country today, right? And what's America today? It's a in in Benning's view, a kind of country in a state of faded glory. This is no longer the sort of triumphalist country of the twentieth century. So across these long takes from, you know, the Midwest to New York, he really fixates on I guess, symbols of 20th century prosperity. So um, oil derricks, manufacturing plants, um, which now haunt the landscape as we know as sort of augurs of ecological collapse. Mm -hmm. And this is a film that's as much about what you see as what you hear. And so there's this dense collage of snippets of pop songs, snippets of activist speeches from from the 20th century talking about sociopolitical struggles that continue to plague the country today. Um, and the thing about United States of America, this this latest version, is that there's a final twist. And it's a twist which I think speaks to some of the cultures of deception, image manipulation, mistrust, which really kind of settled settled in contemporary America. Because he, he manipulates his images. He doesn't just include what you imagine is realist images that are using, you know, diegetic sound. Like, he'll mess with you during this. That's correct. They're, like, highly constructed. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I think some of it that I was reading about it was just, like, the futility of getting one shot to encapsulate a state. Like, and it it sort of speaks for anything. Like, how can you encapsulate anything ever? Yeah, (laughs) that's right. That's right. Um, He, as you said, kind of breaks cinema down to sets of variables. So he's interested in, you know, 10 long takes, Mm. 14 two-minute shots. And, you know, these are variables that in another filmmaker's hands might be seen as constraints. But for him, they set the conditions for... For new, um, for new modes of to encourage kind of audiences to to slip into new modes of perception and to really interrogate what are we looking at. So mm-hmm. that's one of his great, great themes is to sort of use endurance, use the the temporal capacities of cinema as a medium to encourage to to sort of reinvigorate modes of perception in in the audience. It might sound like counterintuitive, but I feel like all my friends with ADHD will actually love this and often love slow cinema as opposed to cinema that's kind of bashing you over the head and is overstimulating. There's something really safe and gorgeous about being in a boring movie. There, there really is. And for me, they're often the films that I remember most at the cinema, both because I become incredibly aware of my own body, like aware of my own 
uncomfortableness. I'm often like, oh, I want to leave once it's going to be over. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like sometimes it can be an agony as well as it being, you know, just a beautifully contemplative experience of watching rapturous images. But as well as it being quite solipsistic as an experience, I'm also hyper aware of the audience around me. So I become Mm. very aware of being part of this temporary collective. And I often feel at the end of a slow cinema experience, and this film, mind you, is only 90 minutes, you kind of feel that you've gone through something with the audience Mm -hmm. and there is this collective sense of like, I guess having gone through something together and that Mm. for me usually creates like quite a memorable experience. I'll never forget watching with Andre and my friend Max in like a little dingy room five by Kiristami and just like hearing everyone breathe. Actually, my slow cinema experience this week was working on a rising show with the camera. I was a camera operator with like comms on and someone had left their comms on while they were having a panic attack. Oh, and no. so every single person in the crew had to listen to someone going, <sighs> and it was like the most intense, like we've all been through that together moment. Oh, no. <laughs> that was slow cinema for me. Bummer. Excruciating. Shall we we hear a little piece of the United States of America? Yes. Just to lull us into the day. There was a time as a native person in America, I mean, obviously we went from being the only people here to where we became the enemy of the people who came to take it away from us. And, and, you know, and and this is what genocide and manifest destiny was all about. So we, we had that experience. And then by the 1900s, by the beginning of the 1900s, pretty much we had all been confined and contained into reservations or whatever, and and then taken off into the educational religious systems as children taken away. And and this was not an aberration. Taking the children of the native people, was that was the standard, and and feeding them off into the religious educational systems. So basically they were telling now the native people that we couldn't be who we were anymore, Indian. We couldn't be Indians. We needed to be white. You're listening to Movies, 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 sans Andre today. We have Jen, but to make up for it, a very special guest in Ruby Arrowsmith-Todd going through her Flux series at the Sydney Film Festival. We've gone through the United States of America, and now you're going to hear a little tidbit about dry ground burning. Okay, Jen Ruby. Person in America. Uh, I mean, you just heard coming um, down. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. not <laughs> you, not your mics today. <laughs> <laughs> you just heard um, some of the protesters in dry ground burning um, their prison wives is or partners of prison inmates. Is that right? They're on the back of a truck in that scene, and they're um, part of this movie that feels like impossible cinema that's made over three years in the outskirts of Brasilia. And um, I don't know, it's really hard to talk about this without using labels like Factual Fantasia or Catherine Bigelow. And obviously it sounds like MC Bin Laden when you watch it. Um, Can you explain this beast of a film way better than I'm doing right now? Because I haven't (laughs) seen it yet, but I am missing a Grey Gardens themed party to go see it on Sunday. I can't wait. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, all right. So 
Dragon Burning, a film made by Adili Quiros, who's a Brazilian screenwriter, and Joana Pimenta, who's a Portuguese cinematographer. It's basically a story of queer oil piracy in Brazil. It <laughs> follows an all-female gang um, led by two sisters, uh, Leah and Katara, who are real-life sisters. And they basically drive around on the back of motorcycles um, throughout their, their community hijacking oil pipelines and selling makeshift fuel um, mm-hmm. back to the people. And so the context of this is that the Brazilian oil industry was nationalised and it was nationalised under the pretext that all of the royalties would flow back to you know public health services and so on, and these royalties have never materialised. So the film is, in one way, a taking back of the commons, people basically taking resources into their own hands. Um, and then... The other kind of main thing to say about the film, which you kind of mentioned, is that there's it's a film very much under the shadow of Bolsonaro's right-wing government and cultures of over-incarceration. So the two sisters, um, one uh, sister, Leah, she she came out of prison prior to the film's production, so they the story is all kind of based on their real-life experiences. They actually did these things with this oil infrastructure. So she came out of prison um, prior to the film's production. She's then kind of made most of the film and then I believe was incarcerated again before the film wrapped up. So there is this sense when you're watching the film, you're never quite sure about the timeline. You're never quite sure about what kind of version of themselves you're watching. And I think that that's a deliberate effort on the part of the filmmakers to to gesture to the real kind of cyclical nature of incarceration in, in this society. Um, that might make the film sound quite heavy, but it has an extraordinary energy. It's this like a lot of like dance parties there's a great queer party bar scene um and it's basically about how people forge exuberant forms of kind of community in the face of some pretty kind of hectic cultures of over policing um poverty and obviously right-wing authoritarianism so it's a film that's also as you mentioned kind of it's impossible to conceive how it was produced. It was made over three years with these sisters. It's all based on their experiences, so they're all non-actors. And it's also a film that the directors very much um, are anti-European models of filmmaking. So they said, you know, we're explicitly rejecting the kind of codes and conventions of European cinema. We want to make a Latin American cinema that feels... Um, in its form, more reflective of the cultures that we that we live in. So, in that way, it quite gleefully kind of pillages from different genres. So, it resembles sometimes like Mad Max. It then kind of switches into more Western modes. It's obviously got a really strong social realist undercurrent. It's got like sci-fi, fabulist um, kind of aspects, as you mentioned. But I think altogether, incredibly ambitious and I found exhilarating film. I can't believe you did all of that without reading anything. What the hell? (laughs) I'm so excited to see this movie. I think it's probably the most excited I've been to see a movie maybe ever. And I haven't said that about anything for so long. Maybe Memori, but I remember this time last Sydney Film Festival, Andre was like telling Nishan that a pigeon pong was a sellout for hiring Tilda and doing something in English. (laughs) Which I think he's now backtracked on because we're now obsessed with it. But um... I feel like this is a memoria moment of this festival. I can't wait for people to see it. Yeah. yeah. So it's playing um, Friday night at Palace Central and Sunday uh, at Dendy Newtown in the Arvo. Yeah, and that's where I'll be. Also, if you see me there, it's my birthday, so... On Sunday? Yeah. 
All right, cool. Sing to Jen. <laughs> Sing to Jen something. upon arrival. <laughs> um, and when's United States of America playing? Because I don't think we did that. So United States of America is playing this Thursday night at Palace Central and Saturday Arvo at Dendy Newtown at 3.30. And the Feeling 22 series of the Art Gallery of New South Wales begins... June 22nd. Oh, my God, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of reasons to close that laptop and get out the door (laughs) and experience something with an audience. Totally. And if you miss any of those details, (laughs) don't stress. Just head to fbiradio.com and if you click on programs, Mornings with Maya Bilic will have the air dates for both films plus the new series curated by Ruby at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So don't stress. You'll find it all there. Jen, thank you so much for coming through. Ruby, thank you so much for gracing us with your time. Thank you so much, Ruby. Thank you so much for having me. Love chatting with you. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.